felt like if I was going to take a risk, if I was going to ever do anything outside the box, this was the time. Now, I always told myself, hey, if this doesn't work out, I can always go get a job. I got the stellar credential from Harvard. I worked at this prestigious law firm. So I, I have some stuff I can put on a resume. Thank God, fingers crossed, I've never had to pull that resume out and go apply for a job. <laughs> Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. We have an amazing guest today. It is Ariva Martin, who is an award-winning civil rights attorney and a best-selling author. But before we get to our fabulous guest, I want to talk about your Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge, because it is 2022, and even though we are in the beginning of February, we've got our final week to give you a free downloadable tool to help you on your challenge to make 2022 your year for a career breakthrough. This week's topic is all about promoting yourself. Now, if you go to our website at leadwithyourbrand.com slash new year, you can download our Promote Yourself worksheet, along with all of our other worksheets that will help you get on track to make this your year. Now, we have talked all about how you can create your brand by knowing your audience and knowing what you stand for authentically and turning up the volume and refining who you want to be. But our final step is you've got to promote yourself. Now, great marketers know that you cannot just talk about your product once. No, no, no. We have got to hear about products anywhere from eight to 15 times before we're even aware. And that isn't even our intent to purchase. That means you have got to drive by that billboard for that new streaming show on Netflix eight to 15 times before it even registers. And that doesn't even mean that you're going to subscribe or put it on your watch list. So when you think about promoting yourself, I want you to create a plan to be showcasing everything that you are and making sure that people see the value in your brand all throughout the year. That's right. I know many of you are just now having your end of year conversation with your manager about 2021. This cannot be the only time you are having that type of conversation. Now, when you think about promoting yourself, there's three 
key areas. One is advertising. That is everything that you say about yourself. You are in the driver's seat. Think about what is that ad buy that you are making. That is everything from what you do at work when you show up on Microsoft Teams or when you show up on Zoom. You are in control of what people see in your background. We are in control about what we say about ourselves, and that's the value of your elevator pitch. And then think about social media. How is your LinkedIn profile doing these days? Have you been posting? What about those other areas that you show up in social media that impact your life and your career? That's all in your control because that is advertising. Then I want you to think about influential others. You've got to determine who those people in your network are that speak for you when you're not in the room. Who are those handful of executives in your own business, including your manager, who are advocating and talking about you and your brand when you're not invited to those meetings or when they are out there? Then I want you to think about those influential people that are in your network or your industry. Are you showing up at industry events, whether that's in person or if that's done safely through the power of digital tools, you've got to make your presence known. I want you to create that watch list of influencers in your company as well as in your industry so that you can be building relationships and watering so that those relationships grow over the year and they're advocating for you. Now, the final piece about promoting yourself is all about word of mouth. Now, we know when you're looking to buy something, who do you trust? You trust people that you know. You ask people. You look at the reviews that they have left about products or services. The same thing goes for you, your career, and your brand. Now, this is the hardest one there. Because you can only control that by making sure that you show up and lead with your brand every single day. And guess what? We all have those bad days where we're off brand. You can't just ignore those. You've got to be the owner and you've got to come in and resolve when you've been off brand. You've got to pick up the phone. You've got to send a card and you've got to make sure that you're maintaining those relationships so that people always have positive word of mouth to say about you. Now, I think about this all of the time because people come to me asking for advice when they are applying for a job. The bottom line is once you've applied for the job, your reputation is already out there. So think about, you can have a stellar resume. You can write a beautiful cover letter. You can have the most amazing LinkedIn profile, but it only takes one person in that hiring manager's network to say something negative about you that may dissuade them from even advancing you to the interview process. So make a plan to show up on brand and actively manage your brand when you come to one of those times when you potentially become off brand. Well, we have an amazing guest with us today. It is Ariva Martin, who is an award-winning civil rights attorney, Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author, CNN legal analyst, and host of the web-based talk show, The Special Report with Ariva Martin, and the radio show, Ariva Martin Out Loud on KBLA 
Talk 1580. Her most recent book is Awakening, Ladies, Leadership, and the Lies We've Been Told. Now, a Harvard Law School graduate, Ariva founded the Los Angeles-based civil rights firm Martin & Martin LLP. As an attorney, she has been involved in high-profile cases and has been identified as a Southern California super lawyer consecutively for the last five years, a designation reserved for the top five percent of attorneys in the state. She has won a myriad of awards, including the L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth, Los Angeles County Women of the Year, Ford's Living Legend Award, the James Irvine Foundation Leadership Award, and Union Bank's Neighborhood Hero Award. We'll be back in just a few moments with Ariva Martin. Martin, Martin, Martin. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I am here with today's fabulous guest. It is Ariva Martin, civil rights attorney and best-selling author. Ariva, what is going on? Well, that's a loaded question because there <laughs> is so much going on. I, you know, whether you turn on the TV, the internet, or shows like this, folks are just really trying to make sense of this third year that we are entering into with this coronavirus and how it's upended all of our lives. So fortunate to say I've been healthy and am excited to get to that point where we can get rid of masks and go back out and hug and spend time with people. Yes, it is time to hug again. Um, and, And so tell me, what exciting things are you working on? I'm working on a book proposal for my fifth book. My fourth book came last year. And I didn't waste any time getting started on <laughs> number five uh, because uh, a good friend of mine that's an author that has written more than 20 books uh, tells me that when she finishes one, she starts on the next one. So I don't know if I'll get to 20 plus in the way that she has, but I definitely have started on number five. You are on your way, but I know that people have been raving about your last book, Awakening. So tell me a little bit about how that's been. It's been incredible. Uh, Some challenges because of COVID in terms of, you know, in-person events that I wanted to do, but I did get to do some and I've done a ton of Zoom events. And as we get ready for Black History Month and Women's History Month, I will be doing more events, including a big conference I'm going to go to in Las Vegas in March. But the book has been really well received. Uh, So many women and men come up to me and, you know, either in person or DM me on my social media accounts and just tell me how how many ways that they can personally identify with the book and stories in the book and accounts in the books uh, from women that I interviewed But really, it was about exposing so many of the obstacles that women face and letting women know that they are enough. And, you know, I want to shift the paradigm a little from books that were written about 10 years ago. They're really focused on what women 
needed to do in the workplace. I, I wanted to change that conversation to say what the workplace needed to do to accommodate the many, many talented women uh, who are working outside of the home today. Exactly. And and I know that the, the subtitle to Awakening is Ladies Leadership and the Lies We've Been Told. So tell me and the listeners, what, what are a couple of those lies that are about things we need to fix in the workplace and stop fixing women? Well, the first one is that your hard work is enough. I mean, most little mm. girls, particularly if you are a little girl of color, you grew up hearing over and over again how hard you needed to work. And the implication was somehow that women weren't working hard enough. Now, what they didn't tell us is that in many instances, our hard work is not enough, that there are things in the workplace that have nothing to do with your work that determine how far certain people will go in the workplace. There's something mm -hmm. called nepotism that never gets talked about. You know, there's something called the old boy club that we used to talk a lot about, not so much anymore, Yeah. but just the things that happen, the relationships that people form, uh, the ways that people are sponsored and championed in the workplace that oftentimes doesn't happen for women and particularly women of color. So I wanted to dispel the myth that hard work alone was going to be enough because we know in our competitive workplace, it's not uh, that you can work, you know, your bones into your, you know, you work till you are exhausted from sun up to sun down. And in some workplaces that still won't be enough. And the other, uh, one of the other lies that I expose is this notion that women can't have it all, that we have to make some binary choice between having a successful career or having a family. And I like to tell the story of how, you know, men are never told, you know, decide if you want to be a CEO or a dad. Whereas <laughs> exactly. I know for myself, <laughs> you know, but for myself and so many <laughs> women, we grew up being told that if we wanted to have a successful career, uh, we probably needed to forego or delay childbirth. And many women bought into that. And many women didn't have children. I have friends who are, you know, super successful lawyers, judges, uh, you know, executives in the tech world and the finance world. And some of them didn't have kids because they believed that in order to get to the places where they are, they needed to forego childbirth. And, and then by the time, you know, their reproductive years were coming to yeah. a close, you know, they didn't even either didn't have the right partner or it wasn't the right timing or something. But I just want women, again, to know that, uh, you know, you can. And I'm a good example of that. I have three kids and I have what I consider to be a very successful career. And I didn't have to make a choice between having my children and a family and having a career that I also find incredibly gratifying. Yes. And now you do so much. So Ariva, tell me, I mean, you are an attorney by trade, but you show up on TV, you're working on your fifth book, you, you, you have your hands in so many great things. Tell me when you first meet people, how do you describe to them what it is that you do and who you are? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It really depends on who I'm meeting. <laughs> Sometimes just to keep it really simple. I just say I, ha I work in a job where I get to help kids. Sometimes I just tell folks, you know, I'm an author. I'm not understated. And, you know, I wrote a whole book called Make It Rain about how women, again, uh, have been taught to many instances, play down their talents, their gifts uh, and their positions. And, and I surely don't do that. But I like for people to meet me and for me to get to know them and learn a lot about them before they know what I do. Because in our society, people are often judging you and making 
assumptions about you based on the work that you do. Yeah. And sometimes I find that I can have far more meaningful relationships and conversations with people if they don't know, because sometimes labels can be intimidating for people. You know, they hear you're a lawyer, they hear you're on TV or, you know, you are a best-selling author. People, uh, you know, sometimes, like I said, can start making assumptions that make it difficult to have authentic conversations. So, I read the room, I read the person, I try to, you know, uh, make the most strategic decision about what I tell people about my career. And let's face it, when you're meeting people today, usually they've already Googled you. They already know more about you than you can tell them in a conversation. Yeah. And that's just a big part of building your own professional brand, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, people aren't looking at your resume anymore. I mean, they're literally looking at your, looking at your LinkedIn account. Uh, they're looking at your Facebook account. They're looking at Instagram, Twitter, you know, any place where you have, you know, made uh, an impression from a digital standpoint. That's what people are, are typically looking at to figure out who you are and what you stand for. Absolutely. Now, now take me back because you've been working for, for quite some time. When you look back over your career, what were some of those moments where you really felt like you had a big career breakthrough or you, you got to the next level that helped you get to where you are today? I think one of the biggest uh, career breakthroughs I had is when I took time off from my law firm. So I worked uh, initially out of law school for a corporate law firm, but didn't do that for long, did maybe less than two years. And I started my own law practice. And my law practice grew to be one of the largest African-American female-owned firms in Los Angeles. And around the time that my son was uh, diagnosed with autism, uh, my kids were, my other two daughters were in uh, elementary school. I needed some time off. I needed to really mm. get my arms around autism, what was happening with my son. Yeah. So I took a sabbatical from the law firm to work on a book, uh, my second book called The Everyday Advocate. And that was a huge career move for me because it allowed me to discover my voice as an advocate. I, you know, with that book, of course, went on a national book tour talking about autism and advocacy and really found my place as a uh, an advocate on a national level, you know, speaking out for individuals with disabilities, disenfranchised individuals with children. And that was a huge uh, career change for me in many ways. I didn't leave the law, but I expanded my platform as a lawyer to include public speaking and advocacy. And, and it's around the same time I started making television appearances and, you know, went on to become a, a commentator and TV talk show host. So I would say that time away from the firm to write that book was one of the, the big shifts in my career. Yeah. And it's so interesting when you talk about, you know, uh, sort of those rules we've been told. It's always like, you know, always work. Don't take time off all of those things. But here you found this huge breakthrough by really hitting the pause button. Oh, absolutely. Taking that time off. And it was about three months where I literally turned off my work email. I you know, gave the work over to other partners and associates in my law firm. And I took advantage of that time. I would get up every morning. I'd go to a, a nearby high school track to get my workout in. And then I would come back. I had a library office in my home and I would lock myself in that room for seven, eight hours at a time. And I would just write and I would research and I would, you know, then take a break for a meal and go back and, and do the same, you know, for several hours. So that time away from the the problems, the fires, the the daily things that you know keep us going was really a well used time for me. 
Absolutely. And what was the hardest part about making that decision to take that time? Oh, uh, disconnecting. I feeling like I was going to miss something, like I was going to let my clients down. Like, oh, my God, if there was a crisis, you know, how could the world go on without me? I think sometimes we, you know, start thinking that we are indispensable when we are not. <laughs> You've done your work correctly. You have other people in your organization that can step in. I mean, I, I like to tell people at my organizations, it's bigger than me. And, and it shouldn't be the case that any one person, I don't care who you are, CEO, CFO, uh, that the organization falls apart because one person leaves. I mean, because if you had an illness or something, that organization would have to figure out how to make it without you. Yeah. Uh, but that was really hard for me. It was hard for me because I, I'm one of these, you know, A type personalities. If you email me, you know, at two o'clock, at 203, I was responding. Yeah. So, you know, having that, being, uh, you know, having, to be away from that. And it was hard in the first couple of weeks, I would look at my emails, even though I wouldn't respond. And then over time, I just stopped looking because what I realized was, you know what, these things are being handled. People can do things. I've, I've built a strong team. I have people who are competent and who can, you know, carry on in my absence. So, but that was the hardest part is, is, you know, deciding not to check those emails and respond to clients and respond to those in-the-moment crises. Yeah. And now, when you were a little kid, what is it that you you dreamed about, or what did you want to be when you grew up? Believe it or not, I did it, it, some one of my dreams, at least, and I'm sure as a kid I had multiple ones, but I had a very close friend. Uh, she and I were friends even before kindergarten. Uh, she's since uh, passed away, unfortunately, prematurely uh, died of a medical condition. But she always talked about being a doctor, and I would say I was going to be a lawyer. And as wow. we played, that's what we told each other. And then she went on to WashU's medical school and became a very prominent nephrologist in our hometown of St. Louis. And I went on to Harvard Law School and then moved to Los Angeles. But when I would go home to St. Louis to visit before she passed, you know, we would joke about those days when we, you know, were dreaming of those dreams and and. The fact that they came true were, you know, it's, it's kind of surreal in so many ways. Now, I'm sure, you know, as I went on, I, I had other dreams. At one point, I wanted to be a writer, which is ironic, too. I remember a fifth grade teacher uh, telling me that she thought I could be a writer. And, and I've always loved writing, something that I cherished. I was a writing uh, tutor in college. I was a writing tutor in law school. So writing uh, has always been something that I enjoy. Now, I got away from it once I started the day-to-day -day practice of law. Uh, even though, you know, you write briefs as a lawyer, but you're not typically doing the kind of creative writing. So, you know, coming full circle again now and, and writing books, this is something that as a kid, I often thought about, you know, didn't know much about what writers did or, you know, how you became a writer, but I've always loved writing. And and how was it that uh, you came to write your first book? My first book, uh, as I was leaving corporate America, I was leaving that big corporate law firm. Uh, I wanted to write about those experiences because I, I learned so much and I saw so much that first corporate job. Uh, and it was tough to leave. My family, many thought I was crazy. I was getting paid top dollar. I had a beautiful downtown high rise uh, office. You know, it was a prestigious Wall Street firm that had a branch in Los Angeles. And in many ways, it, it was a dream job. You know, it was a job that people dreamed of and highly competitive to get. But I knew after six, nine, 12 months or so, it just wasn't the job for me. 
And there mm. were things that bothered me about experiences that, that women had. And so my first book was self-published called Journey to the Top. And I, I wanted to write about it. I, I didn't, again, know much about how you got a book published. Uh, and I met a friend who had uh, met a woman who had self-published a book. And I said, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not going to go the traditional route of seeking an agent and writing a proposal and getting a mainstream publisher. I'll just self-publish this book. And, and that's what I did. And it was really just kind of a, here's what I experienced as a corporate lawyer. And here's what I think can be helpful to you as you navigate, uh, you know, corporate jobs and, and corporate environments. Yeah. And and you said, you know, very early on at that firm, you knew that it wasn't the right place for you. What gave you the confidence or, or what was that breaking point that you were like, you know, I'm done. And I'm sure you had family and friends that were saying like, what are you doing? This is crazy. This is everything you worked for. You know, it, it was a little scary, right? It's very scary to to go against the grain, to do things that others in your environment think are are high risk. But, you know, it was a time in my life. I had no husband, no children, no mortgage. I was in Los Angeles, but had grown up in the Midwest. So I had very Midwestern values. So out of law school, despite getting this really huge salary, I bought a 10-year-old used vehicle. I think my car note was $100 a month. <laughs> I moved into the least expensive apartment that you can have in LA. I think my apartment was $400. And for a while, I was actually catching a bus, which was unheard of in Los Angeles because exactly. you know, anyone with a law firm job would, you know, is in a luxury car, not on the bus stop. But I caught the bus because I literally lived about 15 minutes from uh you know, downtown and there was a bus right by my apartment. But, you know, it was because I had low expenses, because I was at a point in my life where I didn't, I wasn't encumbered uh, as we often become, as we, you know, become more mature. I felt like if I was going to take a risk, if I was going to ever do anything outside the box, this was the time. And I always told myself, hey, if this doesn't work out, I can always go get a job. I got the stellar, you know, credential from Harvard. I worked at this prestigious law firm, so I, I have some stuff I can put on a resume. Thank God, fingers crossed, I've never had to uh, pull that resume out and go apply <laughs> for a job. Now, that's what I'm talking, right? But so so you founded Martin & Martin LLP, and, and what was that process like for you to just sort of start a firm from scratch, especially when you would come out of that corporate environment? It was scary. And again, not only had I come out of a corporate environment, I, I was not from Los Angeles. So again, the prospect of building clients. Uh, and I had an initial partner who we worked together for about 15 years before we parted ways. And Martin and Martin is actually a predecessor uh, firm. Uh, it's the firm that I, uh, well, it's a, it's a firm that followed after my first partner and I broke up and the other Martin and Martin and Martin is actually my husband who I met in law school. But, but that initial stepping out on my own was scary. I mean, it, it was very scary because again, I didn't have a lot of support from family who thought I was crazy for leaving my highly paid, uh, very prestigious corporate job. I didn't know very many people in Los Angeles and I didn't know very much about lawyering. I mean, they don't teach you how to, you know, be, per se, a practicing lawyer in law school, they teach you the theory of law. Mm. So I had a lot to do. I had to shadow my partner, who was a much more experienced attorney. So I had to follow him every day in the courtroom to learn the practice of law. I had to sit in in meetings to learn how to 
you know, talk to clients. I had to sit in with him on depositions to learn how to take depositions. I had to learn the practice of law. And then in the evening, I had to go out into the city of L.A. to bar events, to professional networking events, because I had to meet people because I had to develop my own client base. Uh, and that was the deal with this guy. He and I started out and we said, look, you know, we'll be partners, but we both have an obligation to not only service clients, we both need to bring in business. And I'd never done that before. So I didn't really have a roadmap for it. So, you know, I had to, there were some long hours. I was in the office at nine, like I said, practicing law. Court would close at four, five and six to nine. I was uh, out at restaurants and activities and events. And then I'd have to go back to the office because I'd have to get ready for the next day. So those were some nine, 12 uh, days. Uh, And, uh, you know, I don't regret them. And and it didn't feel like work. It felt it was fun. It was exciting. It was scary. But yet it was still exciting. I was meeting new people. I was developing business. I was developing a reputation. I was in court, you know, learning how to try cases. So they were fun days, you know, hardworking, long days, but also a lot of fun. And so let's talk a little bit about your brand, because you said you were out building that reputation early in in your career, and you've got a very honed brand now. Give me three words that you would use to describe your professional brand. Um, Outspoken, unabridged advocate. So I think of myself as uh, an outspoken advocate that kind of fearless. Maybe I wouldn't even use the word on the bridge. Maybe I'd use the word outspoken, fearless advocate. So uh, someone who's willing to speak out about injustices, whether they involve children or women or families or folks who are disenfranchised, someone who's not afraid to take on big fights. So whether it's a corporation or a high profile person, you know, I'm not afraid to take that on. And then advocate, someone who, uh, you know, uses my voice, uses my platform to uh, give a voice to, to others. That That's how I think of my brand. Yeah. And I love that you even bill yourself as America's advocate, giving a voice to the voiceless. Yes. And, and that's what I've been fortunate enough to do, you know, having a platform on television. I also now host a radio show So being able to use radio, I have a web-based talk show, I have a podcast, I write books, I write articles. So I I try to use every, you know, uh, vehicle possible to speak to issues that people care about and to be a trusted brand, to be a trusted voice uh, that people can feel like when they hear it, they know it's going to be true. They know it's going to be well-researched. They know it's going to be a well thought out because, you know, there is, we we live in a world where there's so much noise. There's so many messages coming at people. There's so much misinformation uh, that people are often confused or often overwhelmed. So I I try to be the calm in the middle of a lot of storms and and help people make sense of a lot of what they see, uh, you know, in the news, in the media. Yeah. And now, would you say that you've always been outspoken, fearless as and an advocate? Or is that something that you've sort of honed or has evolved for you over time? I think, and my family would agree, that I've always <laughs> been the person who spoke up for the underdog. I, I always, yeah. you know, try to, to find uh, ways to support those who were considered other or who were, you know, marginalized or ostracized. So that part of my personality is not 
new. I mean, I just had to figure out, you know, how to do it in a professional environment. But I've always asked a lot of questions. I always questioned uh, things that were unequal, unfair. I've always abhorred inequalities. I've, I've always felt like, you know, people should be treated fairly and equally that there shouldn't be separation based on race or gender or socioeconomic status. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with how I was treated. I grew up very poor in a housing project in North St. Louis, and I was marginalized. I was ostracized. I was, you know, relegated to second-class citizen by many in my community and by society as a whole that, you know, relegates folks to statistics based on their demographics, based on their geography, based on their zip codes. So I know what it feels like to be that person, to be the person that that everyone has very low, if any, expectations for. But I also know how, you know, I didn't fit any of those stereotypes, how different I was than all of those stereotypes. So, and I don't think I'm so special. I know that there's thousands, if not millions of, of kids and people who are often written off in the way that I was, uh, but who are immensely talented and if given an opportunity, if given a chance, if, if you know, if nurtured, uh, that they can too achieve their dreams. So uh, I think my lived experiences make this work even, you know, easier, more comfortable and more natural for me. Yeah. And Arifa, what was one of those, you know, unique experiences or or what was one of those moments in, in your life where you realized, wow, you need to stand up and be an advocate and really give voice to others? Uh, it, it happened. I'll give you an example with my son again, my son, Marty, uh, when he was diagnosed with autism, I was spending a lot of time in South uh, LA taking a class on how to help your child gain language. So it was like mm. a self-help class for parents. And I realized that I was there because I was self-employed. I could take time off my job to go to this class. <clears throat> but many of the parents there uh, had quit their jobs so that they could take the class. They didn't have the luxury of taking time off to be in the class. And, and in conversations with those parents, I realized that my son Marty had so many more services and access mm. to so many more Uh, resources than these kids uh, whose parents were in this class. And the only reason was, one, because I was a lawyer and I knew how to access the services, and two, the part of town that we actually lived in. And and that that wasn't right. That wasn't, you know, fair that their kids who deserved every chance that my son deserved were not getting it because they, in some cases, African-American or Latinx, in some cases, because their parents, you know, didn't have the skills that I had as a lawyer the connections that I had as a lawyer uh, or the resources. So that led me to start a a nonprofit called Special Needs Network. Uh, And the first event that the nonprofit hosted was this open forum event in uh, South Los Angeles at the Boys and Girls Club. And we just invited elected officials. And then we invited parents to come talk about their experiences. And, And parents got up and very tearfully, very emotionally told their stories of how they had struggled getting a diagnosis for their children and then getting the proper educational and medical resources. And that really confirmed for me that there was a need for a parent-driven organization like Special Needs Network that would focus on underserved populations and would elevate the needs of those families, both in Sacramento, both in Washington, D.C., and at the local level, you know, in Los Angeles County. And the organization has been around now 15 years. We've served hundreds of thousands of families in this time frame. We have over 150 employees, you know, a multi-million dollar budget now. 
Uh, and it really just started from me recognizing that there were families out there who didn't have what my family had, my son had, and that I had a way to change that. Mm, wow, that's amazing. So so talk to me about when you think about your reputation and your professional brand, when you say outspoken and fearless and advocate, have there ever been times when that rubbed people the wrong way? And if so, how, how did you how did you handle that? You know, a lot of it I ignore because I know I'm speaking truth to power. And I know mm. if people are annoyed by what I'm saying, it probably means I'm saying the right thing. I get a lot of hate mail, people calling me a racist, people have even called me a cunt and even, you know, worse things than that. Wow. Recognize that when you speak truth to power, when you talk about uncomfortable topics like race, like gender bias, that it is going to make people uncomfortable. But the solution is not to stop talking about it, it's to talk about it more. You know, mm. whether it's mental health or, you know, uh, like I said, discrimination in the workplace, those things just don't go away by ignoring them. They get better and we fix problems by being willing to have uncomfortable conversations. And that's one of the things I do on my uh, web-based show, The Special Report, and on my uh, radio show, Ariva Martin Out Loud. I, I, I invite people who are you know, experts in their field or people who've had everyday uh, lived experiences or they're everyday people that have had certain experiences but I, I want to have those uncomfortable conversations because I think that's where we have breakthroughs and that's where, you know, we get to real progress and real change. So I, you know, sometimes get down. I, I've gotten attacked. I had some periods on social media where someone, you know, some group of people were attacking me viciously to the point where I had to uh, uh, turn off my comment section on Facebook and Instagram. Uh Wow you know, give people a time to find someone else to pick on. Uh, but, you know, that passed and, you know, I didn't stop talking. I just let them, I, I stopped them from talking to me. <laughs> and, you know, you learn how to use that block button. You learn how to use that delete button. Uh, and, you know, you, you just keep going again, you know, the, this kind of work, being an advocate, speaking up about issues that, uh, you know, of injustices and inequities, uh, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to make you popular with all populations or all demographics. And I, I've always known that and I, I use it to reaffirm that what I'm doing is the right thing. Wow. I love that, that it's all about, it affirms that your voice is needed, right? Absolutely. So, Ariva, a couple of fun closing questions for you. We've been talking about your amazing brand. What brand are you obsessed with as a consumer? What can't you live without? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, I can't live without fresh flowers from Trader Joe's every weekend. Oh, I started, you know, everybody was figuring out what to do during COVID, right? Some people were baking sourdough bread. Other people, you know, were growing organic vegetables. I decided, I've always loved flowers. My mom used to be a floral designer or she dabbled in floral design. And I said, you know, it became my go-to thing 
to get out the house when we were in real lockdown and all you could do was go to the store. <laughs> go to Trader Joe's, exactly. Well, I can't wait for peony season at Trader Joe's because those are my favorite <laughs> seasonal flowers that they uh, have there. Now, Ariva, I know that you used to take the bus here in LA and then you had a old used car, but if Ariva Martin was a type of car, what type of car would you be? Oh, I'd be a Maserati. Ooh. Fast, stylish, yet not like, you know, so expensive like a Lamborghini or a Rolls Royce. But, you know, a collector's item, a, a classy car, you know, that's driven by folks with good taste. Ooh, I love that. And finally, Ariva, what is the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Be true to your authentic self. And and that may sound like a cliche, Mm. but I tell you from interviewing women for my book, Awakening, and I interviewed a number of women at different stages of their careers. The one thing that all of them said was, you know, that they had regrets about not following their hearts about the kinds of careers that they wanted. So, you know, starting out, you may have to take a job. You may have to do whatever job is available to you as you're gaining experience. But at some point after you've gotten experience in a particular field, you need to really try to figure out what's going to gratify you. Because we spend as Americans a lot of time at work, whether it's home offices or going into a building. So you don't want to spend that much time away from your family and things that you love at home to not love what you do. So I I tell people, try to figure out what it is you like, and then try to make that into your career. Now, it's not always easy. And I'm respectful and mindful that there's some people that just have to put food on the table and have to pay their bills. So they're not able to do that. But I think increasingly more because of our gig economy, because of the different things that you can do on the internet, even people who may work, you know, a traditional nine to five job or people in low wage jobs who have to work those jobs can find gratification in, you know, side things. They can go online, they can, you know, be creative. There are other things. One of the moms that I work with Uh, in Special Needs Network, she loved party planning. And she taught herself to make online these beautiful paper flowers. And she started a small business where she, you know, decorates for parties using these beautiful paper made flowers. And, you know, she is a social worker, a social service worker by day. So that's her regular job. But she loves making these paper flowers and doing these events on the weekend. So, you know, i whether it's your full-time day job, if you have that luxury, or if you don't have that luxury, you know, try to find something that you can do, even if it's, you know, three, four hours a week that gratify you. Because at the end of the day, you know, your work hopefully should align with your value system and, you know, what makes you happy. Well, Ariva Martin, thank you for being an outspoken, fearless advocate. It's been amazing talking to you. Fantastic. Best of luck. And thank you for having me. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? 
The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, I just loved our conversation with Ariva Martin. She had so many great nuggets, and I loved speaking to someone who defines themselves as outspoken, fearless, and as an advocate. What really stood out for me was that Ariva really focuses on finding your passion and making sure that you're taking care of yourself. And it is such a key element when we look at the lead with your brand system to make sure that you take your amazing talents and skills and then combine them with your passions and those things that get you out of bed so that you can find that need, whether that's a need in your company, a need in your industry, or even a need out there in the marketplace. I love that Ariva talks about the need to make sure that you're fulfilling that passion. If for some reason you're not able to find that passion in your work, she says you've got to take that time out so that you're feeding your soul for three to four hours a week outside. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast so that you can get a brand new show every single Tuesday. And check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and I share tons of great information on how to lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough on LinkedIn. And most importantly, don't be a boring old commodity. In your career, you've got to be a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.